Okay, uh, how about I take the theme, put that on mute, so you don't hear the show intro. Okay, let's see if I can add to call, add people, uh, Ian R. Temple. There we go. Hello. Ian, it's Michael and Alan. How are you? Good, thanks. How's it going? Very well. You can hear us all No, okay? it's not. It is not going very well. <laughs> Have you looked outside? Well, he's in New York. Are you experiencing this ice storm that we've got in Toronto right now? Thank God I do not have an ice storm. It's just raining. Uh, raining oh. and cold here. The, the snowplow just went past my house. <laughs> I have a three-foot berm of ice and slush and snow blocking my driveway on April the 15th. This is just unacceptable. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. The horrors of childhood music lessons revisited. We'll look back at the nuns wrapping fingers with rulers and look ahead to the future. Ian Temple of the online music school Soundfly will tell us why existing musicians need the service. And why there's no online accordion lessons. Uh, must be some kind of oversight. Uh, we need to fix this. <laughs> and now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. I know this for a fact about you. You play the accordion, but did you take <laughs> formal lessons? Seven years worth. Seven years. Seven years worth. I used to compete in festivals on various levels. <laughs> I was. I got competitive accordion playing? There was. What well, was it, full contact? It got pretty intense. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Cabbage rolls and coffee. Have nerves of steel. I competed at the uh, the the local level, the town level. I competed at the uh, the civic level, uh, and in and um, various levels of the provincial level. We had a hierarchy of accordion competition in Manitoba in my day. Oh, this sounds like a John Hughes film. Was there like a collection of mean girls and everything? <laughs> you know, funny there were no there there were no groupies. there were no girls. Uh, I think is what you're going to say. No, there were a lot there were a lot of babas, but there were no girls. <laughs> I was taught piano at St. Michael's Choir School, and it had to have been the worst experience of my life. I actually had a piano teacher slam the keyboard cover on my fingers because I wasn't getting it right. At the time, I figured I was just a bad student. Now, I was a bad student, uh, but now as an adult, I just sort of look back at it and I realize it had nothing to do with me. She must have been going through something that led her to slam a keyboard cover down on the fingers of an eight-year-old boy. But You it, were eight? It turned me off piano lessons for the rest of my life. I had the same problem with a guy who was leading the accordion orchestra. Now, wait. In addition to playing solo accordion, I was also part of a 25-piece accordion orchestra. We had – everything was divided into sections. Wow. And I had my section. I know. I know. <laughs> my parents, This is child abuse. I was going to say. Uh, the guy that was teaching the – or leading this accordion orchestra was the meanest son of a bitch. Uh, and it basically – 
turned me off formal music lessons for a very long time. If there's anything worse than having to suffer through being a member of a 25-piece accordion orchestra, it would have to be being the parent in the audience. My parents were very proud of me, but I... I come from a long line of hillbillies, you understand that. Joining us now is the founder of Soundfly, the website that wants to be your online music teacher and a source for ideas for established bands. Ian Temple joins us from New York. Ian, good to have you with us. Hi, guys. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, I take uh, First it- of all, wait, wait, wait. I have to ask, do you teach accordion? I, I do not, and I wish <laughs> I did. Um, or maybe I don't after hearing that story. Uh, but there's part of me that's definitely jealous of the accordion skills. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what part that is, but uh, you you might want to drink until it goes away. Yes. <laughs> what do you play? I play piano mostly. I, I actually have a similar story to what what uh, you were talking about. With the, um, I had a very strict piano teacher when I was younger who just like took the life out of it. Uh, when I was like 11, 12, 13, she was this like Hungarian countess. And she would just, I mean, it, it was kind of like your quintessential cliche piano teacher. She would wrap my knuckles with the ruler and that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, but luckily I made it past that. I was going to quit, uh, when I found a piano teacher that, um, that I, I just loved, who just taught me to improvise. He just like met me where I was and, and like, Ever since, I've just been in love with the instrument, in love with composing, in love with writing, you know, all yeah, that. Yeah, the, the, the shock collar approach to music teaching doesn't really work, does it? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it, well, it's funny because, you know, as musicians ourselves, I have a one-year-old now, and, and we're suddenly talking about that question of, like, like, music's so important to me. What do I do with my child? You know, at what point do you how how much do you push them to play music or not? I think it's an interesting question, especially with young younger kids. Um, but I, I don't know. I haven't had an answer yet. Yeah, I can imagine as well. A lot of that has to do with just having it around in, in your family. My daughter has picked up so much through osmosis of just being surrounded by the geekitude that I am. Uh, that yeah. <laughs> She herself has become quite the geek girl as well. Although we haven't tried to push her hard on uh, music lessons, my daughter is taking ukulele lessons from the Canadian singer Melanie Doan. She's got her U school of ukulele students, and they rock! kids playing the recorder I, I i still think the violin's the hardest for your ears when when mm. when like little kids are learning violin you know it's a beautiful instrument but when you're learning it those like shrieks and yeah it can be painful so what came about that had you thinking i need to create this thing called Soundfly? Yeah. So I, I was, I've been a musician for most of my life. Um, as I said, uh, um, and, uh, at the time I was, um, I'd started a nonprofit that worked with high school students, uh, helping them kind of uncover the things that, that drove them, their passions, their dreams and, and, and build projects around them. So I was deep in the world of education and I was loving it. Um, but I always still had this musical side of myself. Uh, so, um, so basically I just saw an opportunity 
uh, with all these new amazing online education platforms popping up um, to to explore ways to do it uh, for music in more interesting in a more interesting fashion. Um, you know, I, I wanted it for myself in many ways. I was feeling a little stagnant at the time. I was looking for uh, kind of new ways to push myself into new musical territories and didn't really have the time or kind of focus or money to do the like once a week private teacher comes to your house type thing. Uh, so, you know, we began exploring how could we do it on a, on a, uh, a more impactful scale uh, by doing it online. I'm looking at the website here, and uh, it says nobody learns to play music in exactly the same way. And if you go through uh, all the drop-down menus, you'll see things like, um, you know, things like composing, various musical instruments, and, and then you have something here called hustle, which yeah. is basically how how to how the, the the business end of of the music business, which is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we. We really like to focus on tools for the modern musician. So, so our market is is less uh, kid and kind of beginners. It's more uh, musicians and aspiring musicians, uh, you know, in high school, college, or or beyond. Um, we have students from ages, you know, seventeen to uh, seventy-five. Um, so. Uh, we decided to focus on the sort of skills that we think modern musicians really need. Um, and uh, what I mean by that is that, you know, in this new music landscape we're all facing, the cost of making music and producing music is like cheaper than ever. Um, but there aren't that many, there's also so much competition um, and just going through music school and studying cello for 25 years is not necessarily a really good recipe for success anymore because, you know, I mean, I can't remember the exact statistic, but someone said there are fewer spots, there are fewer openings in orchestras across the country every year than there are graduates from Juilliard every year. So, you know, just playing cello and being the best in the world is just not going to cut it for most people. Um, so we decided to focus on things like production. How do you record yourself? How do you make, you know, awesome demos of yourself? How do you, uh, uh, the business side, how do you market yourself? How do you brand yourself? Um, composition, how do you write your own music? Um, these kind of elements that so many musicians are exploring and looking for, uh, in today's kind of day and age and today's kind of new music landscape. So could you help me learn how to use Pro Tools? Yes. <laughs> we could use the help. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So the, to, to answer your question, we have two things on SoundFly right now. Um, and we, we started by just making online courses, so video-based courses. And those, we have like 50 courses um, you can explore. We have, I don't think we have anything on Pro Tools, but we have a bunch of kind of fun stuff. And then we have these mentorship sessions. So we've hired and trained a bunch of um, expert practicing musicians, and we'll pair you up with them in kind of a refangled, re newfangled uh, private instruction uh, approach to, to learn whatever you want. And so we have some great pro tools mentors who could kind of work with you over the course of a month to, to take kind of small steps toward understanding pro tools and, and doing whatever you want with it. 
So how are you making money off this? I see a lot of this looks like it's free. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of our, our courses, so we care a lot about how people learn. And one of the things when we got into this, we realized was that the best way people learn is not necessarily just by watching videos and stuff. That's called passive learning. You just kind of, it, it can be so much fun. I, I watch tons of YouTube videos to learn and stuff like that, but it's not the most effective way to learn over the long term. So we began making those courses with videos and stuff like that um, about topics we care about and we love and, and, and friends of ours and musicians we can reach out to and, and stuff like that. Um, but we also knew that those were going to be limited in, in kind of the impact they have. So in many ways, those are kind of just a marketing strategy for us. Um, and then we've been focusing on this mentor approach, which we charge for. So, uh, some of our courses, you can actually, you know, purchase the course with a mentor to work through the course with you. So our mixing course is an example of that. It's six weeks long. You, you have videos and you have tutorials and stuff like that, but every week you're getting check, uh, a check in with, an expert mixer who's saying, you know, how did it go this week? Did you do the activity? Here's feedback on it. I think you should adjust your EQ in the bass a little bit, so forth and so on. So you're really getting that like personalized custom approach. And that's, that's where, that's our, um, business model. And that's what we're focused on really more I, than anything. I know a lot of people who run various, uh, music academies, uh, recording, technology academies and so on. And these schools can cost $20,000, $25,000 a year. Now, looking at some of the stuff that you have here, uh, you could actually get probably not the same level of education, but certainly a really good start for much less. Yeah, that's our hope. You know, I mean, I think personally, uh, and I don't want to go on too, too much of a, a tangent here, but, you know, I think there, there is really this problem in education where, uh, especially arts and music education, where, uh, some of these schools and some of these programs cost so much money and people are going into debt to do them. Uh, but they're kind of over promising what they're in like career wise, what they're going to deliver. So you might spend, you know, $20,000 on a production school and it could give you a really good production education, but, but the school is actually not setting you up to make back that $20,000, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, so one of the things we tried to do was we, we took a different approach. A lot of, a lot of online schools just take a university level course and just like put it online. And we took a different approach where we said, well, what would the most efficient and effective online program we could design look like. And, and we've experimented with a bunch of things, but, but this kind of one-to-one -one mentorship approach we found is just really exciting because, um, you've got someone meeting you where you're at, but it's all online. So it's happening over email or Slack or Skype or whatever method works for you. Um, so you can do it on your own time. You know, there's not the like, one hour a week, like private instructor thing, you can, you can trust the quality because it's, it's, you know, either attached to a course or the mentor has been trained, um, by us and, and by some of our, our professionals. Where are you getting yeah. your mentors? 
Um, right now it's, it's, it's mostly just through our, our networks of musicians, you know, I mean, we have people who are, uh, uh, composers who've written, you know, scores for major films. Um, we have a, a lot of, uh, a lot of Berkeley grads, you know, Berkeley college of music, um, you know, this, who are, who are working as musicians, they might be uh, licensing their music. They might be touring a lot. Um, they might be pursuing their, their kind of dream, their musical dreams. Um, and they're just psyched to kind of pick up, you know, some extra, uh, uh, some extra money on the side. Plus, you know, a lot of us musicians just like really love talking about this stuff and like working on musical stuff. So let's go at this from the opposite angle. Um, I'm a musician. I want to get involved in Soundfly. How do I do that? As a mentor or a student? As a mentor. Uh, yeah, you can uh, uh, just go to our site, soundfly.com slash mentors. You're checking to make sure that works, right? Yeah, exactly. It's with an S. It is with an S. Yes. Cool. So you can go there and uh, there is a link right down at the bottom. Um uh, that, that should take you to a little bit more information about it as well as, uh, a contact form. Um, so you can reach out to me or you can just email me at ian at soundfly.com. I always love hearing from everyone. So. Cause I'm thinking if, if you're a working musician and maybe you're on the road or maybe you're between projects or maybe you've got a day job and, and you just want to do something in, in the evening, in your, in your spare time, this might be a good way to, like you said, uh, you know, sharpen your skills as a teacher and um, as, as a way to make some extra money on the side. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely one of the ideas behind it. You know, my, one of my um, advisors always calls it like this underutilized resource, uh, which is kind of a dry way of putting it. But I see his point where I, I don't, I mean, I assume it's the same with you guys, but I just know so many incredible musicians who are not being or not either, you know, making as much money as they'd like to make or um, just have a little bit of capacity, have a little bit of extra capacity to give. Um, and I think this is it's just an opportunity to take advantage of, you know, the years and years of education they've been through, the years and years of experience in the scene that they've um, accrued and uh, and kind of channel that to, to some fun activities, some fun education activity. How do you see this evolving over the, the next little while? Because I can imagine when you first picked up uh, your first sheet music way back when, the technology for doing what you do has changed dramatically and even has, I'm sure, over just the last few years since, since you launched this. Where does it go from here? Yeah, I have, I have kind of two very big picture visions. Um, the first one is just, uh, um, continuing to refine the options for our method. So the, 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 we've really just developed this mentorship model over the past year and a half or so. So it's still very new. Um, and I think we're, we're still excited by all the different ways we can explore it. Um, one of the things I'm really curious about is whether we can develop an even cheaper or more affordable version of still getting support from a mentor. So currently, you know, our courses cost about $500 uh, for six weeks of mentorship support. And we're curious whether there's actually a way we can structure it that will allow 
um, musicians who can't necessarily afford that $500 to still get personalized attention and personalized support that works. Cause I'm really, you know, I don't want to just like be a snake oil salesman or rip anyone off. So it needs to work. Um, uh, yeah. So that's, that's one thing. And I think the second one is that just really excited about this mentorship based approach. So I could see, you know, in 10 years, really trying to develop um, mentorship based programs for all sorts of different things from music branch to other arts programs, um, to, to anything that someone wants to, wants to learn about in a continuing education way. Before we let you go, I, I've been looking through the site and, um, I noticed one glaring absence in the skill set of those you've hired and the mentors you've got on the site. No one, not a single person plays the accordion. <laughs> we got to get on that really quickly. Alan? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you're going to find a lot of mentors or a lot of people willing to help that mentor out. I mean, one of the most, um, you know, <laughs> anybody who plays the accordion and has an email address is a really, really optimistic person. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, I'm curious now if there are like really good MIDI uh, accordions, you know, really good virtual accordions that we should uh, look into. And, well, uh, you know, if you go to, to you look at bands like Mumford and Sons and, and everything that followed in their ilk, you know, maybe, maybe there is. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's some a- of that, some of that rootsy sort of stuff. I mean, Chris Novoselic of the bass player from Nirvana is a very good accordion player. Really? I didn't while, know that. <laughs> every once in a while, he'll get together with a bunch of musicians on stage in Seattle or wherever. And it's like, ladies and gentlemen, one of the surviving members of Nirvana here is Chris Novoselic. And he doesn't come out playing bass or guitar. He comes out playing an accordion and he's really good. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of my students did send me a video last week of an accordion, violin, and guitar trio. Um, and he specifically wanted, he's, he's getting um, advice from me around string writing and violin. But I was psyched to hear the accordion. It had been so long. This guy could wail, too. These guys wow. were just like, you know. <laughs> okay, that's, that's a verb that I have never heard used with in a conjunction with the accordion. <laughs> well. Maybe it should be more often. <laughs> okay, so guitar, accordion, and violin. Which circle of hell did he email you from? <laughs> Ian Temple is the founder of Soundfly. He joined us from New York. Thanks so much, guys. Want to show your love of the world's most popular podcast, but don't want to open your wallet? Rate and review The Big Show on iTunes and Stitcher. We're not above bribing you either. The craziest review could win you free crap from the geek and Beats Swag Store. New York, New York is everything they say and no face that I'd rather be. Where else can you do a half a million things all at a quarter to three? When they play their music, ooh, that modern music, they fuck it with a lot of style, but it's still that same old backbeat rhythm that really, really drives them wild. They say the hotter must be it for Huey Lewis. Yeah, Meniere's disease, um, which is a fairly rare hearing disease that um, 
basically robs you of the, your ability to hear anything. Uh, to be very honest, I had no idea that Huey Lewis and the News were still touring. I had I, I did I hadn't thought about them for years, but it makes sense. They're probably doing stuff on on you know the casino circuit or on the summer festival circuit, something like that. You know, for county fairs. Um, but uh, Huey has had to cancel all shows this year because he can't hear anything. He's he he apparently there's some low frequency issues with his hearing that makes it absolutely in, impossible to to hold a pitch. And if you can't do that as a singer, you're, you're doomed. So with that in mind, I wonder what this means for his acting career, because he actually branched out and doing sitcom work from time to time. Yeah, he was also in the first um he was in the first. He was in one of the Back to the Future movies. He was. He was in the the first Back to the Future movie. That's right. Yeah, he was a teacher. Yes, and Geeks and Beats writer Shane Alexander uh, drew attention to that as well, as did some of our our viewers too, our listeners, uh, pointing out uh, that uh, maybe um, Marty McFly's playing was a little too loud. Oh, fellas, I'm afraid you're just too darn loud. Next, please. Maybe it was. Uh, I'm just going to look up Meniere's disease here. Hugh Lewis hearing. This is different from tinnitus. I, I can't oh, imagine yes. you surviving a radio career as long as you have without having one degree of it or another. If the room is quiet enough, there is this this ringing that uh, is about somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 5,000 hertz that uh, just kind of sits there. I got one of those apps that uh, you can hit a button to play the different uh, kilohertz test tone and you find out just how bad your hearing is. And my daughter could hear the whole damn thing. She's 11. But uh, my hearing was cut off about halfway up the uh, up the list. My mother has bad tinnitus and she has to. <laughs> the worst thing was she had to have the radio on all night. Otherwise, she couldn't fall asleep because the ringing was so loud. And she would listen to Art Bell and or George Nury coast to coast. So my mom would call me with all the theories that she had heard on, on coast to coast about, you know, the upcoming polar shift, about uh, Chupacabra, about uh, Area 51, all that sort of stuff. So uh, my mother replaced her tinnitus with conspiracy theories. And it's, it's been very, very frightening. So she must be crushed with the death of Art Bell at 72. Yeah, we don't know why he died, how he died, where he died, anything. <laughs> it's, it's a bit... You got your own conspiracy theory? Yeah, you sure do. I mean, maybe they finally got to him. Maybe the greys finally took him away. Well, if, uh, looking at this photo at geeksandbeats.com, it looks like he's one of the greys. Well, he was 72, and he'd live a pretty hard life, especially over the last uh, 15 years when he had, you know, his what was his son died, and then he uh, ended up in the Philippines, and then he had some kind of stalker problem, and it was it was not a good time for, for Art. And he retired and unretired a, a, a number of times, and then suddenly he's dead, which, you know, is, is really too bad because I used to listen to art all the time. I love that kind of radio. I really do. He has uh, an entry in the Guinness Book of World Records as uh, the longest solo broadcast marathon. He first got his FCC license at age 13. And this for Canadians may be a little odd to hear. But in the United States, if you want to be a DJ, if you want to be someone who is on the radio, you actually have to get a license to do that. Yeah, I never really understood that. Uh, Howard Stern, for example, had to have one as well. Maybe that's an ability for them to yank you off the air by pulling your license or, or something like that. In Canada, it was the exact opposite. You didn't need a license to be on the radio. But up until I think it was the 50s, you were supposed to have a license to have a radio. 
I didn't know that. Yes, I have a radio from 1938. It's an RCA tombstone-style radio that my grandfather and his brothers had bought for their father as a birthday gift. And Actually, they didn't buy it for him as a birthday gift. What they do is they pooled their money together, and they bought him the down payment. Because <laughs> this is the, the, the late 30s, right? The early 40s. Right. Uh, and every, nobody had any money. And so uh, it was, happy birthday, Dad. Here's a radio. Oh, this is awesome. Oh, and by the way, here's the monthly payments you're going to have to make. Um, That radio on the inside of it not only states that you need to have a license to operate it, but you had to get the license from the Department of Fisheries. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's kind of like the BBC model where you have, you know, your TV license and you can't watch television without paying this fee every year. Right. There is no such thing as a bloody cat license. Yes, there is. Oh, sick. That is a dog license with the word dog crossed out and the word cat written in his face. Well, the man didn't have the proper form. <laughs> the man from the cat detector van. The only detector van, you mean? <laughs> it's people like you what causes unrest. I didn't know that we we had something like this. And why would you get it from the Department of Fisheries? Because the Department of Ocean and Fisheries was the first to use the technology known as radio for ship-to-shore communication because they were the ones who were handling all of that in the first place. I guess the government of the day just said, well, you're used to dealing with it, you deal with it. And, I, and like I said, they, they stopped that you know, back in the 50s, I believe it was. Isn't that interesting? Okay, see, now you've, you've amazed me yet again with, with your arcane knowledge. Very good. I appreciate it. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. We have a new member of the world's worst intern program. Good. Uh, we need. We have empty desks, so uh, <laughs> please, please feel feel free to to um, you know drop into the building. We want to say uh, hi and thank you to Rob Eshlin, who pledged one dollar uh, to be a member of the world's worst intern program. Made so because you have to pay us to work on the show. You don't do any actual work, and the only way we say thank you is by thanking you on the big show. Uh, we are absent any co-producers as well. So if you are willing to shell out twenty five bucks, we will put your name on the album. Album art itself will ship it off to you and you can print it off frame it hang it in your parents basement but the big benefit to donating 25 bucks aside from having our eternal gratitude is that you get to put it on your linkedin account that's right and we will vouch for you if you need to use us as a reference for any kind of broadcasting or producing job in the future now if you want something in return for uh, opening your wallet go to geeksandbeats.com click the support the show link or the swag store and buy yourself something that's got our Well, I was going to say buy something that has our faces on it, but that's probably not a good selling point. No, no, let's not do that. I did have a bit of a problem with my Geeks and Beats Miracle Travel mug of traveling. Uh Uh-oh. How old is mine? Well, that would be five years now. Five years now. So the the there is a little sort of handle thing on the on on the uh, on the lid, and uh, it broke. Oh. Well, you know what you should do? You should send it back. Oh, I, Get your money back. I think so. I mean, what a <laughs> ripoff. Everything else is working fantastically, and I am so attached to my Miracle Travel Mug of Traveling that I do not want to replace it. This thing has become um, like a talisman. I use it every single day, and it had, nothing keeps the cool, the cool beverages cooler or the hot beverages hotter than this thing. 
on our Geeks and Beats Instagram page, Circle Diggs has posted a photo of his miracle travel mug of traveling. He says, my vest has so much stuff in it that I couldn't close the top snap. My favorite thing was my Geeks and Beats mug sharing a beaner with my GPS. What's in your vest? Hashtag archaeology. So I asked him, holy crap, what's the field work, Indiana? Tell us all about it. And his response was, oh, just your standard search for evidence of prehistoric activity. This is fantastic. You know, Batman needed something like this on his utility belt. Exactly. All right. Hey, we had a really strong uh, uh, ratings, I suppose, the downloads for uh, last week's episode, The Ongoing History of Michael Ainsworth. Yes, because all the BNN people wanted to know your story. <laughs> I think uh, as, as Canada's most trusted and most widely watched, uh, well, formerly yes. most widely watched um, business news reporter, uh, you have a lot of fans. A lot of people want to know what was going on. And, and as a result, huge traffic to the website and to the and to the podcast. I should quit again next week. Well, that's what I was saying. <laughs> this was really good. Can you, is there a way you can do that? Interestingly enough, I was at a speaking engagement uh, the week after, uh, just before the, the, the big uh, Wednesday uh, show went out. And I had guys coming up to me, not to talk to me about my time at BNN, but to tell me that they were big fans of the podcast. I'm getting a lot of people coming up to me and telling me that, and it always surprises me. But that anyone's listening. That's like anyone's listening. We're sitting, we sit here on Sunday nights when we should be watching 60 Minutes doing this podcast, and then people come up to me, and you know, there have been a number of times people have come up to me and said, hey, you know, I listen to the podcast all the time. So, oh, you're, 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 you're a fan of the ongoing history of new music. I go, no, no, it's Geeks, geeks and Beats. <laughs> So, all right, fine. As long as you're listening. <laughs> exactly. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.